one week, a week from today, Pittsburgh Baseball Club begins its 137th season of competition. Excited yet? Yeah? No? Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Penguins in the same place that you found this. The Pirates are back in spring action today after a day off yesterday. They'll be facing the Red Sox in Bradenton, but way, way, way more important than that. In exactly seven days at Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, the only place in the United States of America where opening day is an actual holiday, for obvious reasons, I would think, the real thing gets going. And there's a part of me, I'm not going to lie, that is, I'm feeling pretty good about what this team can do under certain circumstances, as it relates to meaningful improvement over the past two seasons. Now, that's immediately going to come across as damning them with faint praise. You know why? Because it is. However, what I'm looking for more than anything isn't, uh, you know, some 10-game improvement or, you know, going from 62 games or 60, 62 wins or 61 wins to 72 or 71 or something like that, that doesn't really mean anything to me. What would mean something is if you could see the Pirates pull what used to be known in the business as a Marlins, meaning bring a bunch of younger players along. Give a bunch of younger players a chance and then watch them just grab the thing and go. Now, it's been quite a while since the Marlins were those Marlins. They'll occasionally poke their heads above water, no pun intended, and make you think they're going to be that early on in an NL East race. And then eventually the Braves or the Mets or whoever will overtake them. But that, to me is what 2023 would look like if it were optimal for the Pirates. If they could get, let me throw out a couple names for you here, just so I can start getting a little more specific and make this seem a little bit more realistic. Travis Swaggerty. He's not having a good spring. He's not having a great spring. He's having a spectacular spring. When you put together all the various things that he's showing you, including defensively, and then combine that with the fact that he was a first-round pick, so it seems a little bit more plausible, that can make a big, big difference for you. That can take an area that's a little bit of a question mark and turn it into an exclamation point. I could say the same thing about Kebrian Hayes hitting for power, showing some real pop. Uh, He's always been able to hit the ball hard. His problem in the minors, and to a lesser extent in the majors, has been that he'll hit it hard, but he'll hit it on the ground, and he'll put it right at somebody. Now, you can't control the latter, but you can control the hitting hard. And, you know, in the launch angle era, you can control to some extent, making sure that the ball goes over an infielder's head. Keys had a pretty nice spring in that regard. Nothing, you know, excessive, but nice. 
That's kind of what I'm talking about. From the pitching staff, you want to see Rowanzi Contreras take that next stride. He had the year where he was flooring everybody, and he came up at the very end, and everyone said, boy." and last year he had the the whole summer to have to readjust to the innings that he hadn't pitched previously and the various counts and everything else that he had to follow. Not this time. Not this time. If he's going to be handed the ball, he's going to be expected to take it and run with it. So let's see it. Maybe him more than anyone else in that rotation, including Mitch Keller. I'm not saying he's going to be better than Mitch or worse than Mitch. I'm not comparing them in that regard. I'm saying in terms of where you were to where you'll be. And I could say the same about some of the younger starting pitchers that we should reasonably, very reasonably expect to be promoted from Indianapolis along the way, notably Luis Ortiz. You need ceiling, my friends. You need ceiling, ceiling, ceiling. That's actually what those Marlins teams were about. And if you want to go for even more dated reference, what the Montreal Expos used to be all about, because they had always the best system in baseball. They had ways to acquire talent, to develop talent that was the envy of the industry. So the Expos could lose a player to free agency or or to a trade or whatever else here, and they didn't care because they had another Vladimir Guerrero waiting in the wings or another Pedro Martinez. They just found a way to keep doing it. So the Expos, a lot like Marlins, were that team that you couldn't really do great preseason predictions for. or You could try, but you'd swing and miss more often than not. That's what these Pirates need to be. Um, They're not that young at the big league level. They're not that talented at the big league level. They don't have a Vlad. They don't have a Pedro. But they've got an O'Neal, and they've got a Rwanzi, and they've got a couple other guys who, if they can poke their heads up there and join a handful of solid performers or significantly better than solid performers like Brian Reynolds. That's the way I'm thinking about this. If I sound uncertain about it, whatever. Okay. I I don't know that there'd be any reason to not sound uncertain about it, given what we've watched now for a long time. But if we're all being real about this and being fair, we can see that these players are not those players. These players are not a bunch of waiver wire castoffs like what we saw half of this roster being in 2022. These players aren't journeyman roster fillers. These players, almost without exception, have a future with this franchise. That future begins from a collective standpoint in only a week when we come back J1Q. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern that's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park.
today's J1Q, it really isn't that. It's not questions. I got a lot of response to yesterday's J1Q answer about why in baseball it's called a clubhouse and in every other sport it's called a locker room. The answer for anybody who missed that show was pretty simple stuff. The clubhouse thing actually goes back to the earliest days of baseball when there weren't rooms under the the bleachers or the standings. You didn't just turn around in the dugout and go back down a hallway. Rather, you would go out to the outfield in an actual little house that looked way more like a golf club house than anything else. I'm not saying baseball got it from golf. I'm saying that they're similar concepts. In Bradenton, the dugouts still don't have anywhere for you to turn around and go to. It's just a wall all the way across. So what you see are the players walking on either the first or the third base lines in foul territory once they're done for the day and other people are coming in in their place, the younger guys who fill in the later innings. I got replies here. First of all, the one that was the most meaningful came from Jerry, uh, who said, who points out when I, I said, I didn't know what that was like at Forbes field. I didn't know what their situation was here. Uh, that was before my time. Jerry says, I worked as an usher at Forbes field a few years before it closed. Both clubhouses were under the stands on the first base side. Did not know that. I speculated based on just some vague recollection or memory of seeing film that that might be the case, but that was in fact the case. I did not know that they were both on the first base side. Dana's has interesting history regarding the clubhouse. I thought that it had something to do with the old-time baseball teams always being referred to as a club. The players joined to form a team to play against the club in the next town. Well, I love the fact that the Pirates' official name, their corporate name, remains to this day, Pittsburgh Baseball Club. Um, There have been readers or listeners who've joked with me over the years, or they were serious. I can't tell that I was the one that came up with that as some sort of like, I don't know, sappy term for them. That's actually what they're called. I tend to only call them that on opening day or when there's something really, really significant a stronger point that I want to make. So I'll be using the term Pittsburgh Baseball Club again in the column that I write from Cincinnati. I've mentioned that it's a week from today, right? David says, Howie Long once said that when he got into, Howie Long being an NFL Hall of Famer, uh, said that when he got into a big league clubhouse one time and saw the spread that was laid out for those guys, he understood immediately why his was called a locker room. And why baseballs was called a clubhouse said it was like a country club uh, comparatively. I am here to attest that this remains true. Uh, the Pirates no longer have their postgame spread in an area where we can see it in PNC Park. There's an eating area that's out of media access on the road. We have clearer views in a lot of places and you can tell that it's a pretty nice little setup and in football. Football's different. Football, the players are in such a rush to get out of whatever stadium that they're in. And again, I'm referring to the road. Uh, and also, even at home, uh, there's a different mindset in the NFL where the players are looking to find their families and the people that came to the game uh, with them or to watch them as quickly as possible. 
Baseball, that's not the case. There's 162 of them. You're just away from them. You know, they're not around. In football, they take you along. There's only 17 total games. You can make eight trips a year and all that. So they're not looking to hang out. What they'll do is they'll go out and they'll walk past something of a a really basic food table that just has the kind of foods that they, the Steelers, would want their players to eat. Uh, safe stuff, uh, lots of carbs, actually, because you're looking to replenish some of that, which normally wouldn't be great for you. But it's it's post-game fodder. It's not at all any kind of spread. But all the players will go to it on their way out. This was fun. I, like I said yesterday, ask this kind of stuff more often. This is this is neat. I won't always have the answer. I don't have all the answers. But this one, this one I just happened to, to be able to share some stuff on. Let's do it again tomorrow, everybody, all right? 